Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, and thank you for joining me on the Venture Fuel podcast. At Venture Fuel, we help companies find new solutions by partnering with the best startups from around the world. On the show, you'll learn the secrets of business leaders who tap into startups and the founders driving extraordinary results. We'll consider new ideas, stretch our mindsets beyond the status quo, and in the process, discover how to leap the competition and fuel personal growth. Hi, my name is Vanessa Rosado, and I'm the head of brand strategy at VentureFuel. It's my pleasure to introduce this week's episode. In this episode, we feature a panel discussion on sustainability innovation with Anheuser-Busch InBev Global VP of Sustainability, Andre Fury, and Lonzatech Chief Sustainability Officer, Freya Burton. Andre leads the company's global strategy involving corporate water stewardship and is responsible for environment-related water risks, including regulatory, infrastructure, and financial. With a background in biology, Freya started her career in carbon recycling as one of the first employees of Lonzatech, working directly with the firm's gas fermentation process in the laboratory. She has firsthand experience of scaling and commercializing a new technology, from the R&D stage through the challenges of fundraising and navigating the legislative environment. Together, we discuss the role of innovation in creating scalable, sustainable solutions, the post-pollution future, and how carbon capture and transformation will help us get there, as well as get their thoughts and advice on how industry leaders and innovative entrepreneurs can collaborate to unlock the next generation of sustainability solutions. All right, let's get after it. Freya, Andre, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. Andre, I'd like to start with you. And, you know, we talk about sustainability and actually our team um, in preparation, you know, months ago and just talking about the space and climate tech and climate change and climate action, people throw around a lot of words, right? And, and you work in a very particular area and you lead a particular area of sustainability at AB InBev. Can you just, which by the way, for folks who don't know AB InBev, it's the world's largest brewer and the owner of some of the most beloved beer brands in the world from uh, Budweiser to Corona to Cellar Artois. Can you talk about the work that you do in your particular area of expertise in water stewardship and why it matters to an organization like AB InBev? Avanesa, great joining you and Freya for this discussion. Now, sustainability is key for a, a brewing company. You need the quality of water uh, to make uh, good quality beers need uh, excellent ingredients from the field in order to make the beer. And you end up with uh, challenges downstream in terms of packaging, if you don't have follow a sustainable approach. And clearly trying to do all of this in a context of climate change, these are all critical things that are imperative for the business and for uh, other stakeholders. So we have to deal with the legacies from the past. We have to deal with the issues from today and also look forward to the opportunities and the challenges coming coming down the road. So sustainability is key for us. And increasingly, we realize that innovation is such an important part of that. As part of our culture, we deliberately set sustainability goals. We have a set of 2025 goals, which we don't know all the answers. We very much stretch ourselves. So we're serious about those goals, and we're very determined to get to those in terms of water use or agriculture, et cetera but not always knowing how to get there. So that's really important for us. So to demonstrate it in, in water that you that you asked, 
And we said we were probably the first company to set a, a goal in terms of measurably improving water quality and, uh, and availability in the high-risk areas where we operate. We didn't quite know how we were going to do it. We're still working right. that out. But it really forced us to not to say, hey, we are partnering. Uh, we are supporting really good projects. We had to find ways of engaging with others, with local stakeholders, and in each unique location, finding ways of saying, so if water quality is the issue here, what are the types of solutions that would work? So whether that would be reforestation or other nature-based uh, solutions or better irrigation systems for the farmers or even regenerative agricultural practices, not necessarily in our own supply chain. So we, we have a lot of experience in doing that with barley farmers, et cetera. But increasingly we find if we're concerned about a location and water risk in that area, that we need to invest in other farmers and their capabilities because they are the ones using the water. So if we want to have water security in the future, we have to work with former farmers who grow garlic and onions and tomatoes, which is not all our capability, but we can certainly help them with better irrigation, better water management, et cetera. And then the, the next part is how do you measure and show that you've made the progress? And so it's great for me to show you a few slides and the projects are beautiful, but how do you actually show that measurable impact? So sometimes it's really expensive on the ground uh, technology, metering, et cetera, but increasingly they are really exciting technologies available in terms of, you know, using satellite data or remote sensing, et cetera, in terms of being able to show the impact or even really robust modeling approaches. So for us, water is critical, but you have to be able to show the impact in order to be credible. And it's an interesting, and some of the research for today, finding that while many organizations have made carbon commitments, and there is actually a significant trend in terms of understanding the role of water and the need to also consider water stewardship within their ESG commitments. And well, I'd like to take this opportunity, Freya, to ask you to talk to us a little bit. I mean, we're, we're speaking about water stewardship, but obviously Lanza Tech is focused on carbon capture and transformation and is an innovator in the space. You, have, you are the Chief Sustainability Officer, but you have been there from the beginning, um, actually working and understanding how to develop the technology uh, and scale it and make it commercially viable. Can you tell us a little bit about, for those who don't know Lanza Tech, the work that it does and why it is an important innovator in the space? Sure. Well, I, I think it's uh, appropriate um, to be here with Andre today because we're going to talk about a different type of fermentation. And I like to use the analogy of making beer for really what Lanzatec does. So we, we do something called gas fermentation. And instead of taking sugars and yeast to make, say, beer, we take pollution in the form of a gas, so emissions, carbon emissions. And we use a, uh, a living organism, a bacteria, instead of yeast and part of its natural biology is that it consumes the carbon in these gas streams and it grows and, and the natural product of its growth is actually ethanol and other chemicals. But if we focus on ethanol, what we actually can do is we can make a fuel so it can be used for road transport blending. But we can also upgrade that ethanol, use it as a building block for other things. And so we've developed a, a secondary process to convert that ethanol into a sustainable aviation fuel but also working with partners to take that ethanol and use it to make things like ethylene, polyethylene, making PET. So converting that ethylene into the building blocks or the ingredients for, for PET, monoethylene glycol, one of them. Um, and we can make other chemicals directly. 
And so what this means is you can take those emissions and then you can then use them to make things like textiles, packaging, surfactants and things like laundry detergent, dish soap, hand soap, these types of things, which today all come from virgin fossil resources. And so this idea of carbon transformation is taking pollution and really making products through this nature-based solution, this gas fermentation. And the inputs can be emissions from flue stacks, emissions from corn sort of uh, processing plants, so CO2 from these plants. It can be from MSW. So we, we heard in the, in the previous session about the, the challenges in recycling things like cups when it's mixed materials. Well, you can actually superheat mixed waste streams to turn it into a gas that then our bacteria will eat and turn back into products. So really, we're showing the world that you can have this very flexible range of carbon inputs to make a range of products at the end and, and keep virgin fossil in the ground. Now, that technology is extraordinarily impactful, but requires partnership with industry for its application. So I want to, Frey, I want to come back to you on that question. But Andre, you know, we're sitting here, we have AB InBev here as this, you know, global manufacturer, world's largest brewer, and we have lots of tech who are inventing this technology to capture carbon and transform it into consumer goods. The question becomes, how do partners like these find one another? So at AB InBev, how do you find partners in the space that are going to help you implement innovation to achieve those goals and, and begin to go from commitment to action plan and result? I think for, so for partners, it's useful to, to understand how does a company operate and, 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 and how we approach this type of innovation. Traditionally, we had a, an approach that I would call scale from the bottom up. So you typically find if a local brewery in Chile decides, oh, here's a really interesting way of doing cleaning in, in place. We're gonna, we have a much better solution. They would share that uh, locally, the, the next brewery to them, eventually in the region. If that's really effective, it'll go across the whole zone, maybe Latin America, and eventually it'll bubble up to the top and someone will say, that's a great idea. Why don't we do it everywhere? So there's still a lot of that happening. So it's always useful to, to try and get in at a local, a local operation. And that is particularly if you can understand the problems. Uh, and I find quite often people who approach us to partner do not have a real understanding of a particular problem that we have. It's just so much more impactful to solve a problem than to say, hey, we have a technology for you. But we've clearly seen that this is not always the most efficient way of driving innovation. So we've become a lot better at internal benchmarking. So because that brewery in, in Chile that I mentioned may not be typical, but there might be a brewery in Nigeria that has the same type of technology, it's the same age, and it's a very typical solution so that you benchmark across technologies, processes, etc., and very quickly and online uh, can realize there's someone else in the group who's, who's already solved this, uh, was a really bright idea, and how do we scale it? And then finally, we launched the 100 plus uh, accelerator a few mm -hmm. years ago um, as AB InBev to deliberately help close the gaps that I mentioned earlier. We know that we set bold ambitions. We don't have all the answers. So how do we find these solutions? So we invite startups and small uh, entrepreneurs with ideas. We, very, we are quite prescriptive on the types of things we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So um, whether that be um, you know, environmentally friendly CIP or AI solutions for internal management or digital water, or better ways of um, reusing uh, effluent internally or externally, quite explicit about what we want. 
people apply, we uh, go through that, uh, we select a number to join us on the accelerator process, and we help expose them to venture capitalists, to funders, etc. But we regard success as if they get a contract with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not just trying, we're not looking for bright ideas that are really interesting. We're looking for solutions. And last year, Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Colgate Palmol have joined the accelerator. So now it's all four companies together. And there's a lot of similar challenges that we faced in terms of climate, carbon, uh, et cetera. But also we have quite unique, uh, even if you just think about those companies, some of our packaging challenges are very different. So we have a, a common base of searching for solutions, but also each of those companies then may sponsor a particular uh, pilot, which is only relevant to each. But by sharing with each other, um, we're certainly scaling it up uh, significantly. Is there some place where folks can go to learn more about that program? Yeah, it's actually open for applications right now, not for very much longer, but there's still a, an opportunity. If you just search 100 plus accelerator, you'll find it. It's open for, it's very clear um, how to apply for it. And it's it's open. It's a really, really exciting opportunity to work with those four companies and we have more companies will and i just want to say one thing the the reason is not called the abi accelerator is very much so the the two tricks there was we didn't call it abi accelerator because then no one else will join it everybody would love it but they won't join so it was very deliberately in the 100 plus comes we said if you want to stay in business for the next 100 plus years we really really have to start thinking of different solutions to what we're doing it's very consistent with Tom's comments earlier too of, you know, how can we think about the long-term impact that we have the potential to make through some of these solutions and get out of our, you know, quarterly reporting short-termism that sometimes is, you know, a result of being a, a successful industry leader, but there's a lot of pressure to show focus on the short-term and with sustainability, we've got to, you know, think beyond that. Freya, I wanted to, you know, Andre talked about how they identify partners can you share a little bit with us how you work with partners like Bridgestone, who is a, a customer of yours, a partner of yours, and thinking about the impact that your technology can have in two areas. One is changing their understanding of the life cycle of a product, and then also rethinking you know, traditional approaches to the reduction of carbon emissions. Yeah, I mean, uh, partnerships are incredibly important for us, and and we have um, we're, we're lucky enough to have real global reach with with our partners across multiple sectors. That flexibility angle of the technology has been been key to that. From companies like Bridgestone and, and Unilever to Inditex, who owns the Zara brand and Lululemon, so you wouldn't really associate tire manufacturing and yoga pants, for example. Right. But everybody's sort of working towards this common goal of reducing emissions. And and to the earlier point, it really is existential. People are making choices now, probably in a sort of a COVID world, people are more conscious about what they're consuming and and with the impact of climate change, just so much more visible. But also from from an energy security perspective, and we're seeing what's happening today in the Ukraine and, and the immediate impact on chemicals companies that will impact supply chains. So talking about rationing of energy for for chemicals companies in in parts of um, Europe today. And so that's why we're having these these partnerships, because there is this very solid understanding of the need to make change to survive. And and as you said, looking into the future, because they have done these internal benchmarking, they have 
listened to consumers and listened internally and, and realized that there needs to be change to stay relevant, uh, to, to keep ahead and to offer consumers what they want. The Bridgestone example is a really good one because they really recognize the importance of that end of life tire cycle and looking at new ways to sort of dispose of carbon in the tires, but also to source the carbon. So creating a circular model. And ultimately, it makes sense, not just from an environmental perspective, but if you're creating a circular system, it makes economic sense as well. We're getting some great questions from the audience. So I'm going to go ahead and take a few. What is the most overlooked portion of building a more sustainable strategy for both small and large companies alike? And I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to think about that, just to set the question up. Earlier this year, there was a report by the Global McKinsey Institute citing the fact that upwards of, I believe it's like 90% of companies have ESG, public ESG commitments, but very few actually have plans in place to, you know, how are they going to get from commitment to action? So what advice do you have for organizations like these or for uh, sustainability executives or innovators who are sitting there going, wow, I've got this commitment. I've got a very rapidly closing window to achieve it. How do I get from idea to plan? I would say, so I'm taking for granted that, that if you have goals in place, that you also have plans and budgets in place. For, for, for me, that's, that's essential. I think the most overlooked strategy that's just for some reason not working uh, effectively but is essential is collaboration, cross-industry, deep strategic collaboration. I can't believe that in 2022, and we still have each of the large global companies and so many local companies trying to solve all of these problems on their own. Our water challenge in a particular place is not unique to us. It's not because we're using more water than the next guy. It's because there are systemic issues. It's incredibly hard to know that, now you can mention two or three global brands in the same industry as ourselves, Sometimes our facilities are just down the road from each other. But to get those local teams to collaborate on a water project is incredibly hard, even though everyone faces the same challenge. In agriculture, it's even more systemic around food issues, etc. And I can't believe So I'm not saying that we, we need to do everything together, but there's a lot of pre-competitive systemic issues that we can uh, address better together uh, in order to shape the competitive context context. So we can all be more effective and more competitive if we collaborate on the right issues. Collaboration is key. We couldn't agree more. Freya, what are your thoughts on how do we get from commitment to strategy and action? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100% what Andre was saying there. And, and, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel each time. And, and it's almost like everyone wants to put their own spin on it. But I mean, there's some really nice examples where in a supply chain, for example, where you can, some partners, and I'll use Unilever as an example, they have very transparent goals and resources in place for people who they work with and companies they work with. And so I would say to, let's use a small company example, if you're working with partners, ask them, listen, what have they done? So this is taking a similar thing that Andre said, but just at a smaller scale, you know, see what resources are available. And oftentimes when you're working with um, larger partners as a small company, they will have systems in place in their supply chain that you have, you know, criteria that you have to meet and they can help you along that process. So I think 
think about where, you know who you're working with and how they can help you as well. Don't just try and do it alone. Love that. And so often we're expected to have the answer. Sometimes it's all about having the right question to stop and ask it. This is a question specifically for Freya from the audience. What has been the biggest challenge in scaling LanzaTech's technology, especially since you are working with such a broad range of companies and industries? I think there's two two angles. One is money, you know, and, and if it doesn't scale, it doesn't matter. And, and there's oftentimes a lot of money in R&D and investment, but crossing that, I suppose, Grand Canyon of death rather than the Valley of death is it needs funding. It's a first of a kind technologies oftentimes have a lot of risk attached to them. So there's insurance costs, there's the investment to build. So financing is a challenge. You know, we've been doing this for over 15 years. We now have two commercial plants, but, you know, this wasn't an easy path. And many others in this sector do do struggle with that. So I think that is a big challenge. And, and the other one is um, the suitable or, I suppose, policy frameworks that support all sustainable solutions. So oftentimes policies are are focused on sort of a narrow range of solutions. And I think we're never going to get to where we need to be in terms of carbon reduction or water quality or or whatever the sort of criteria might be if we just focus on a few winners and we don't open it up to all solutions that can contribute. Yes, we've had uh, interesting conversations internally about that as well in terms of where the emphasis and focus is on the industry side and what gets a lot of attention versus what has the potential to have the greatest impact. So a um, question from the audience, what role does consumption have in sustainability? It seems like the easiest answer is to stop producing so much and for consumers to stop consuming so much. How do we balance that dichotomy? Yeah, so sustainable consumption is a, it's a key part. If we want to all live on one planet, there's no, there's no doubt about it. In the beer industry, so if we produce less beer from tomorrow, that doesn't mean that people will necessarily consume less beer, they will just buy beer from someone else. So we've really learned that we need to think about the category in a more strategic way, so that it's not good for our profits or our reputation if a few people drink more beer and do so irresponsibly. So we'd much rather have more people uh, enjoy a beer every now and then than have a few people drink a lot more beer. So that's really important. If you want to include women in that in the category of beer, you need to make them feel welcome. They need to be comfortable with the category, etc. So for us, it's thinking about consumption in a very different way than maybe 20 years ago, where everyone was just thinking about, hey, how do we sell more in terms right. of rather how do we grow more occasions, other opportunities for people to enjoy beer, maybe low or no alcohol beers as part of each and every occasion. And Freya, for you as well, this question, you're capturing carbon and you're having a double benefit, right? Removing it from the environment, also the avoidance of the extraction of virgin fossil fuels. But at the end of the day, you are utilizing it to produce more consumer goods or consumable experiences. Is there a place for the reduction in consumption or is there, Lanzatech has an amazing phrase, post-pollution world. Or is it about this post-pollution world where we just live in a fully circular economy so that we can continue to enjoy our lives and have our hamburgers or bean burgers or new meat burgers? But at the end of the day, it's all it's all circular. I think that's the, the, the key. It's, it's thinking about how to do things right. And yes, there's an element, there's moderation, there's what do you do at the end of life, but it's just rethinking how we source, how we use and how we dispose of stuff. 
you know, I usually talk about it in the sense of carbon, but we just need to rethink those material cycles. But we shouldn't have to sacrifice what we need. And oftentimes people talk about, well, I'm going to give up flying to save the planet. But I understand the rationale, but there are a lot of people who can't do that. Their families live overseas or they need to travel for work or there's lots of reasons. So how do we just rethink the patterns, rethink um, the industries that we um, depend on? For and, and oftentimes we forget that in the sense of carbon, we are covered in carbon. It's not just about stopping flying and not having plastic. You know, it's in all areas of our lives. So we just need to rethink how we're using it today. That's a fascinating answer. And it is a fantastic way to close our session. Because unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, Thank you both for your time today. Thanks to everyone who joined us for What's Next Now, Sustainability and Innovator's Guide to Climate Change. We hope that you found the session inspiring and informative. And please check back for more resources. And if you're on Philo, explore the page to learn more about the innovators working in sustainability and how they are acting to disrupt climate change. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Venture Fuel Visionaries. If you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe. And to learn more about external innovation, tech for brands, ventures to watch, and upcoming events, follow us on LinkedIn. See you in the future.